the latest headlines. Hard to imagine them not as one of the best teams in history. The insightful interviews. Jerry Greenberg, NBA TV. Virtually all teams in basketball could have played Kevin Durant with the Warriors Tatum. The hottest takes. Go and play for a team talented as Golden State and win a championship. Can all be found on Press Row. Broadcasting as part of the Brew Sports Network. Here's your host. It doesn't matter what your name is. Christian Heimel. What is up, everybody? Welcome on Press Row once again as part of the Brew Sports Network. I'm your host, Christian Heimel. Glad to have you listening wherever and however you may be listening here this Thursday, June 22nd. Another fun week in the wide world of sports. We'll touch on all of it. Big guest list today. Jared Smith, New York City sports anchor. Talk to him about the world of Major League Baseball, specifically Aaron Judge, the New York Yankees, and anybody who may be making some deals towards deadline day. Cody Ortner of Bruce Sports Network, our golf insider, will recap this weekend's U.S. Open with Brooks Kepka and answer one of the biggest questions that I have uh, about the sport in general is, does golf actually have a true face? Uh, this year has been a very strange year for the world of golf. There hasn't been that brand-name guy, that big-name guy winning a lot of things. Yes, Sergio Garcia won the Masters, but it was more overshadowed in the fact that Dustin Johnson missed the tournament in general with a back injury, a fluke back injury. And then this weekend in Aaron Hills, Wisconsin, uh, with... Brooks Kepka winning the U.S. Open. A lot of that was overshadowed by the fact that guys like Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy missed the cut. So does golf have an actual face? And then we'll touch on the latest news from Tiger Woods as he released a statement earlier this week about that dash cam video that we saw a couple weeks ago of him looking very much out of it and later it becoming the result of some medications that he was taking. So we'll touch on all of that with Cody Ordner, our golf insider from Bruce Sports Network. And then guy that I've known for a long time, one of my favorite people to talk basketball with, Chris Williams. Uh, we'll touch on the NBA draft tonight. Smooth played in the NCAA tournament for a year with Manhattan Jaspers. He now also covers a lot of different topics in the world of basketball and is a great motivational speaker, so we'll talk to him in just a little bit. And we'll start with the NBA draft happening tonight in Brooklyn. A lot of things happening Already before we get going, it's really getting crazy with the draft tonight. All these deals going down, these rumors mulling around. You've got Dwight Howard being traded now to the Charlotte Hornets, his like fifth team or whatever it is. You really kind of wonder about Dwight and his career, what this means for him and anything like that. Then obviously the uh, Brooklyn Nets trading Brooke Lopez as well as one of their draft picks. In return, getting D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov from the... Los Angeles Lakers, which is kind of interesting there in the fact that it now really does set up Lonzo Ball being drafted at number two tonight, getting rid of Russell and making room for that point guard uh, in Lonzo. And it also kind of sets up some cap room in the fact that Mozgov's contract was very, very uh, a big burden on the Lakers and Magic Johnson, but now it sets it up for the potential to maybe go out and get a max guy, uh, potentially a Paul George. It's been the rumor for a lot of people that he will end up in Los Angeles. Uh, there have been talks that maybe in a year LeBron James gets there, but uh, you know I, I don't really know if there's any truth to that, if that's a reality thing for him, just because it's still a year away and so many different things can happen. And then there's what Phil Jackson said with the New York Knicks earlier this week and the fact that he'd be willing to trade Chris Stops Porzingis 
which uh, is unbelievable. You've got probably the only guy in the world who wants to play for the New York Knicks, and you're thinking about trading him. Uh, Phil has said that it is they will do what is best for the team, but I don't know if he really feels that way. I, I don't. Um, talking about bringing back Derrick Rose instead, who's an older player with two really bad knees, there's not a lot of things making sense there for the Knicks. And when you think about Porzingis and you think about how talented he is, how young he is, he is the cornerstone of a franchise. You can build around him. And the biggest thing everybody talks about when they talk about the Knicks and Phil Jackson is the triangle offense and how Melo doesn't want to play in it or uh, Derrick Rose you know, doesn't want to play in it, whatever. But the biggest thing, and this gets overlooked a lot in the triangle offense, is you need a big man. You need a guy who can pass well, who can dribble well, and is that seven-footer. And you have that in Kristaps Porzingis. So I have no idea why Phil Jackson is even considering the idea of trading one of the best young players in the game, one of the best players at his position, let alone the actual game, just because, what, he skipped out on an exit meeting? He's incredibly talented. He's very, very good, and he's a perfect piece for if you actually want to run the triangle offense. And at number eight, you could potentially draft a very good guard there to be able to work with Derrick Rose. Or you could potentially, who knows, maybe you do get Lori Market and still at number eight. Is that the reason why you're talking about trading Porzingis is to trade, basically get him for marketing? Unless you're going to get something great out of Porzingis. And I'm not talking like uh, a Bled- Eric Bledsoe from Phoenix or anything. No, you need something great. There's no point in trading Porzingis. I think this is a lot of smokescreen from Phil. I don't think uh, anybody's going to actually pull the trigger because the asking price is probably going to be very, very high for the Knicks to get Porzingis. I think this is kind of Phil putting the young man in his place, so to speak. But we'll see what happens. You know, It's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, the Sixers with that trade from the Celtics, which I love that trade. Sixers will take Markel Fultz. It really does feel like Lonzo Ball is going to be number two. And then the Celtics at three are again in an interesting position. I felt all along Josh Jackson, the forward out of Kansas, was the best pick. But it seems as though it's getting closer and closer to being Jason Tatum, the forward out of Duke. Which, again, is a good pick. Handles the ball well. Can shoot. Rebounds. And that's one of the biggest things that the Celtics missed a lot this year was rebounding. At times when Al Horford didn't know what he was doing or Gerald Green didn't know what they were doing getting rebounds, they needed that. And Tatum or Jackson could really do that. But then it also feels as though maybe the Celtics could trade down again. It feels like if they can get a strong return for that number three pick and maybe go down and get you know, the Sacramento's five, or maybe even the Knicks at eight, they could probably still draft Jason Tatum is what it feels like. So it's going to be interesting. We'll talk about that with Chris Williams and a little bit later on. One thing that I do want to mention that I think is just a little ridiculous is all this talk surrounding Paul George and the potential trade. Free agency is going to hit July 1st, and we'll touch on that when it comes around, maybe next week, maybe in the next two weeks. But the Paul George trade, he's got one year left on his deal. If you're going to trade for Paul George, you need to make damn sure of one of two things. Number one, you are either in a, you are in a position to win the championship next year. It makes a lot of sense for Cleveland to try to go after him to win a championship because then he goes into free agency after next season. So you better be sure that you have a chance to win a title next year 
if Paul George is just a one-year rental. Or, and this is what is more likely and why I like the trade for the Lakers to get rid of Timothy Mozgov's contract, you better be sure you can sign Paul George to an extension. And that's why the Lakers feel right. They clear cap space. Paul George has said he wants to play there. You're going to draft Lonzo Ball. And then you've got the cap space to sign Paul George for an extension. That's why it makes the most sense. Because you don't want to be a bad team like the Lakers. Get him for one year. Not have a good performance. And then he leaves in free agency because he doesn't like it there. So you better be sure you either have the cap space. Or you have the team to win a title. When it comes to Paul George. Same thing with Jimmy Butler. Same thing with Gordon Hayward. Same thing with Kevin Love. Carmelo Anthony. Kristaps Porzingis. Those kind of things. Those guys that have... One, maybe two years left on their deal, you better be sure that you either can sign them to a long-term extension or you can win it in the next two years. Those are the biggest things. Well, let's dive into the NBA draft a little bit more here on Press Row. One of my favorite people to talk basketball with. He is a former Mac. I shouldn't say former. He hates when I say former. He is a Mac champion with the Manhattan Jaspers in the early 90s. Color analyst on the Jaspers Sports Network and a great basketball mind. Philly's own Chris Smooth Williams, brother man. Thanks a lot for the time. Good afternoon, partner. Always a pleasure to be in the building with you, or at least in this case, on the air with you, which we do on a regular basis. But no, my pleasure, man. Thank you. You and I get to talk about it all season long. It's our favorite thing to talk about is college basketball. So tonight, the NBA draft and our teams uh, committing a trade last week. The Celtics and the Sixers swapping picks. And the Sixers seem like they are all set on Markel Fultz. Your thoughts on the young man from Washington? Look, and I think it's a good move for both teams. I think Fultz will definitely help the Sixers. I believe he's a good young talent. Uh, in his case, from what I understand, again, because of the West Coast, don't get a chance to see that team that much. But from what I've watched in film study, explosive guard can score the basketball, great size. You know how I like guards with size, especially the way the NBA is going now. You need size on the floor and guys who can do multiple things. I believe he'll fit in well with the Sixers. We have good young talent. It's a matter of time before they develop. It seemed as though that Sixers-Celtics trade was done from a locker room standpoint. I mean, yes, it feels like the Celtics, whoever they take, Tatum or Jackson, they could get him at three as opposed to one, but it seemed as though that trade was more so not to upset Isaiah Thomas and potentially take a point guard after he just had one of the best years of his career. Did it feel that way for you too? Well, I definitely agree with you. I think the Celtics are in a great position. Obviously, being in the Eastern Conference, you need size. I think because Thomas is a small guard and you want to keep him happy, you want to bring in good talent but don't want to upset him. I don't think in this case you bring in folks, you get him a little bit alarmed, and I think he's one of those guys you want to make sure he's in a good place mentally. (laughs) And they're right there. You want to bring in additional talent so you can possibly get over that hump. Seems like no matter who the Celtics take, whether it be Tatum out of Duke or the kid that I love, Josh Jackson out of Kansas, it seems as though it's the right move. They need that rebounding because it, watching the Eastern Conference Finals against the Cavaliers, the Celtics really did look outmatched like they had no size, especially there on the glass. Well, that was the issue. You need size and athleticism, especially against a team like the Cavaliers, the way they were constructed this past season. I think a guy like Jason Tatum would be ideal. I like Josh Jackson. 
I think Tatum may be a little bit more advanced. I believe his game is tailor-made for the NBA. Wasn't a great fit at Duke, but I think in the NBA he'll be able to do a lot of different things, more things than we were able to see at Duke. That number two pick, it seems like the Lakers are 100% in on Lonzo Ball, especially after the trade to move D'Angelo Russell and bring in Brooke Lopez. Uh, The Chino Hills kid, the UCLA kid staying home. How does Lonzo's game translate to the NBA? Another guy who's NBA ready. Just take a look at his track record, the way he's been brought up. You talk about his father, and he's always a lot of chatter, but that has nothing to do with the NBA. This guy is ready to play. Excellent point guard. Again, great size. He sees things before other people can. Pass first guard, which you love. L.A. setting, I think he'll fit in perfectly. He's Chris Williams, Jasper Sports Network, a MAC champion with the Jaspers in the early 90s. And uh, Smooth, uh, for those who have never had a chance to listen to you and I do a broadcast, you talk a lot about the city guards and how they just bring something different to the table than those other players. What is it that they bring? Well, again, oftentimes the city-type guards have played against every type player, so they're not fearful of names or publicity. So if you bring anyone into a gymnasium or a park, oh, I've seen this guy before, I've seen this type of play before, and they're fearless, so they're not going to back down. So you love that toughness they bring to the table. But nowadays, everyone is pretty much acquired because of the AAU system, but I still have to tip my hat to those city guards. Certain cities like a New York City, a Philly, a Detroit, uh, D.C., those guys are fearless, and they'll run through a wall for you. There's so much going on the days leading up to the draft with all of these trades. We've seen a couple already. Dwight Howard on the move talks about Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Gordon Hayward, Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Love, uh, even Chris Paul, Blake Griffin. Is there a team right now or something that you see that could really just kind of blow us away tonight during the draft? Well, Kristen, the best part about the draft is not necessarily the draft itself. I love the trades (laughs) because everyone wants to get better. Ideally, we understand most of the guys who are being drafted, especially the high players, are young guys, and it takes time for them to develop. But if you can bring in some veterans to your team, like what the Lakers are trying to do, or a team like the Seas, they understand, well, a young guy may not be able to assist us right away. We can get a good veteran who's been established. Those are the type of things that will get you closer to a championship, whereas you look at the Sixers, we're trying to build to be a team that – or you come out and watch us, and we can put a good product on the floor. We're not at championship level yet, but the trade gets you closer to a championship. You harken back to the year where the Celtics got Ray Allen, Garnett, Paul Pierce. Again, you went from nothing to everything just in one night. Mentioned you're from Philly, but you call New York home now, and the Knicks have been, well, there's really no other way to say it, but the Knicks. Uh, the rumor that Porzingis is on the trade block uh, potentially is a little ridiculous to me considering how talented he is, how young he is, and the fact that in a triangle offense you need a talented big man. What's the reaction like in New York to this idea that Porzingis may be on the move? Well, in defense of Phil Jackson, and it's tough to do this right now, maybe it's a smoke screen. There's a lot of smoke screens that go on during this time period. Ideally, because of the Knicks or where they are, you can put everyone on the table and say, we'll like to start from scratch if we can get something better. But just from a fan standpoint, it does seem very ironic and silly that you will put him on the table. But what the Knicks are doing right now, they need to get better. And if it can be done fast, I gave you the analogy of the Celtics from going from a bad team to a very good team. Possibly that could be the case. But right now, Phil Jackson's taking a lot of heat. So you want to see him make a good decision right now. 
I know you're on the road, man, but uh, I mentioned that you're not just a great basketball mind, but you are a motivational speaker as well. Positive energy is a gift. Tell me a little bit more about Hear Chris Speak. Again, a motivational speaker, positive energy coach, that's something all of us need right now considering what goes on in our world and our society. Just really want to make people aware that there's so much more positive going on than the negative that we see. I mean, you can take a look at my website, hearchrisspeak.com, on social media, Hear Chris Speak, Instagram, Hear Chris Speak, Twitter, just trying to put out good vibes, speak at high schools, colleges, corporations, you know, to give you some good energy to get things going in the right direction. Where are you at today, my man? I know you're on the road talking to somebody. Well, I was in a high school, law enforcement high school, uh, actually on my way to another high school to speak. Again, the fortunate thing about what I do is I love it, it's my passion, and it's something that we need. He's Chris Williams, great basketball mind, here ChrisSpeak.com, motivational speaker as well. I know you want to give me your sleeper pick for tonight's draft, man, so go for it. Both of us are familiar with this young man, Jonathan Isaac from Florida State, sleeper of the draft. We saw him in person when the Jaspers went down to play Florida State. 6'11", 7 foot, has a tremendous skill set, reminds me along the lines of that Kevin Durant, Brandon Ingram-type body frame can put it on the floor, he can score it. Maybe a lot of people don't know a lot about him. Doesn't have a great motor just yet, but he had one year of college. Will be NBA ready in about three years. Keep your eye on that young man, Isaac from Florida State. We loved him when we saw him. We also loved Dwayne Bacon for the Seminoles. Uh, They disappointed me, though, a little bit. I had them go into the Elite Eight, but still very talented roster there for Florida State. Chris Williams, he is the color man for the Jasper Sports Network. And a motivational speaker here, ChrisSpeak.com. Glad to finally have you on the show, brother, man. Can't wait to talk to you again soon. See, it's always a pleasure, bro. Looking forward to you coming back to the New York City area sometime soon. We can sit down and have some lunch. That is Chris Williams, nicknamed Smooth. He always loves those Philly guards, those city guards. Also loves anybody at left-handed. Great basketball mind. A lot of fun to talk to. Great energy as well. Check him out. Uh, motivational speaker, HearChrisSpeak.com. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting tonight with the draft. I mean, it it seems like a lot of it is going to center around not the team that is hosting the draft in the Brooklyn Nets, but their team across the river in the New York Knicks uh, and what they do with Kristaps Porzingis if they actually do end up trading him and all of that. On Press Row, Christian Imel here broadcasting part of the Brew Sports Network. He's Jared Smith, New York City sports anchor. Haven't had a lot of chance to talk Major League Baseball, but he's been covering the Yankees and the Mets for a couple of years now. He joins us on the phone. Jared, thanks a lot for the time. Thanks, Christian. And Jared, one of the biggest stories in Major League Baseball, at least the first half of the season, has been right there in New York. The success of Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees sitting right now atop first place in the AL East. Where in the world did this kid Judge come from? Yeah, I mean, he's he's really taken the city by storm. I mean, he's literally a larger-than-life figure. I mean, you know, you obviously don't want to put him in the category of Babe Ruth yet in terms of his longevity, but his 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 figure, I mean, he's 6'7". The guy is, is a man, uh, and he's becoming really tough to pitch to, and, and that's where he's generating a lot of the buzz from. I mean, he's hitting home runs that literally are, are leaving ballparks, and it really is incredible. Uh, First-round pick a few years ago, uh, he was really highly touted as a prospect, and a, a lot of people last year were focusing on Gary Sanchez and, 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 and what he did when he came up. But really, Aaron Judge was the guy a few years ago that Yankee fans were really monitoring through the farm system, 
And, you know, Sanchez came up first and did what he did last year. But now Yankee fans are really getting a, a big taste of Aaron Judge. And, and, and he's got all the tools, not only at the plate, but he, he really is a perfect right fielder uh, at Yankee Stadium. He's, he's the cannon of an arm. And, and he's, he's really one of those guys that Yankee fans now can kind of, you know, gravitate towards. It's, it's been a while since they've really been excited about younger players coming up. Uh, but, but but Judge is just, you know, he's pushing all the right buttons right now uh, the first few months of the season. I think the amazing part is as a right fielder, you got a kid who's 6'7", what is he, 230, 240 pounds right now? Yeah, maybe, maybe a couple a couple pounds more after a few meals out in New York City. But he he's a larger-than-life figure, no doubt. You brought up Gary Sanchez last year and Aaron Judge this year. A couple other young kids on this Yankees roster has a lot of baseball fans in the Bronx, really excited again. But I think one of the biggest question marks coming into the season about this Yankees squad was their pitching staff, and if it's enough to sustain this young offense. Do you see that as a possibility for them, even with the Red Sox staff continuing to try to figure it out? Yeah, pitching is is the issue going in, and obviously I think it still is the issue now. I think it's been surprising how good their starting rotation has been uh, you know, Tanaka's been kind of a negative, but, you know, CeCe Sebecki this going on DL is a little bit unfortunate because he's had a great start to the season. But I, I think Luis Severino, Michael Pineda, you know, even the Montgomery kids, the lefty, the big lefty that they brought up this year, you know, those have been pluses for them. Uh, the bullpen hasn't been an issue until recently, and, and I think you're starting to see now uh, the effects of uh, Aroldis Chapman being on the DL for about a month because at the beginning of that stretch that he went on the DL – the rest of the bullpen was able to pick up the slack. But now over the last couple of weeks, you're seeing those roles get stretched a little bit more and you're starting to see the effects of that. Uh, you know, Chapman, uh, you know, he's, he's been good for them now that he's come back. Uh, but it, it's, it's really tough, especially Tyler Clifford. That was a guy that they really relied on. And, and he's kind of, uh, you know, been, been, been struggling over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but you just hope that Tanaka can figure it out if you're a Yankees fan. You hope that Chapman comes back and is strong. And, you know, the way, the, the way that the rest of the American League is shaping up right now, no one's really running away with things. You've got Houston in the West. They're going to win that division. Uh, but other than that, everyone's playing pretty much 500, maybe a little bit above 500. Uh, even Boston's had their struggles this year, especially away from Fenway Park. So the Yankees are in the mix. I think they're going to be in the mix for the rest of the season. I don't necessarily think they're going to win the division, but the way that the wild card is shaping up, they will be in the hunt for a playoff spot throughout the rest of the season. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. Seems like over the last couple of years, anytime we talk Yankees, we do have to talk New York Mets baseball because of how good they used to be. Do we, do we have to talk Mets? <laughs> <laughs> where, where did it all go wrong for the New York Mets? Because this is a team that was just two years removed from a World Series appearance. What's happened over in Queens? Yeah, I mean, I think the Mets is a byproduct of, of what baseball has become, which is just injury-prone. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of teams in baseball um, that just – it's just their year to get hurt. Uh, you know, we saw with the Yankees a couple of years ago. I remember the Yankees had a, had a highly touted spring training coming off of, I believe it was 2010 or 2011, right after they won the World Series, and it seemed as though in spring training everybody got hurt. And I don't necessarily think that the Mets took a step backwards with their talent. I think they're even maybe more talented this year than maybe they were in their World Series run because they have, you know, veteran guys at the top of that lineup, Cespedes, Walker, you know, Duda, Bruce. You know, that's a powerful lineup that they have. But the problem has obviously come through injuries, especially to the pitching staff. I mean, they have not 
I don't think in their three-year run, since they've really started this run back in 2015, I don't think they've gone through a full rotation with all five of their studs, Wheeler, Harvey, Syndergaard, Matt, and Rom, all five of them being healthy. Um, it, it seems as though one of them is always on the disabled list, and, and it's really it's really disappointing with Harvey. You know, he hasn't been the same pitcher since Game 5 of that World Series when he jogged out to finish off that game in the ninth inning. He has not been the same pitcher since. I don't know if he'll ever get back to that form. Uh, Syndergaard seems to be the most healthiest until this year. Uh, DeGrom and Mass always seem to be nicks and, and cuts. You know, they, they kind of bumps and bruises somewhere along the way. It, it, it really is disappointing. Uh, you know, Wheeler, obviously, this Tommy John, he's been out for almost two years now, kind of regaining his form, but still he had a rough outing in L.A. the other night. It, so it just always seems as though it's like a whack-a-mole. One comes up and the other one always seems to go down. And when you can't keep these guys healthy, and you're bringing up guys like Rafael Montero and Tyler Pill to start long periods of time, it's difficult. And I'll tell you who they miss a lot is Bartolo Colon, uh, who's had a rough year in Atlanta. Uh, but what he's done over the past two years, you know, with the consistency with them, that's really makes you appreciate what they don't have now uh, with some of these young pitchers who just can't stay healthy. Bartolo Colon, R.A. Dickey, Daniel Murphy. I'm sure there's a few guys that the Mets would still love to have on their roster at this moment, but hindsight is, of course, 2020. We're speaking with Jared Smith here, New York City sports anchor on Press Row, part of the Brew Sports Network. And, Jared, we touched on the Astros a little bit earlier and them running away with the American League West. Nationals doing the same in the NL East. Are those two teams really the two best teams in baseball, or are they just playing in subpar divisions? I think that's, that's probably one of the best questions that, that you can ask right now because it is a very – if you look at the landscape of Major League Baseball right now, it, it is really interesting with how you do have two teams that seem to be running away with things, but I really think you nailed it on the head. I mean, if you look at the rest of these divisions, the American League West, I mean, no one's over 500 except for Houston. And in the National League East, the closest team to the Nationals, they're 15 over. Atlanta is six under. I mean, so those teams could win their division by Labor Day, uh, which will make things very interesting because I don't necessarily think that helps you going into the playoffs because you're resting guys, you're bringing guys up on your 40-man roster that haven't played all year that won't be on the playoff roster, um, and, and you might lose a step, but I, I think those, that's a good problem to have, I guess. I, I think if you ask me which team of those two has a better chance to win a World Series, I would say Washington just because their starting pitching is so good. But they need to add to their bullpen. And if they don't add to the bullpen, they're going to lose a lot of 3-2 games in October. Uh, but Houston certainly has the talent to contend. I just don't know if those younger hitters are ready yet. We will certainly find out down the stretch. Because uh, I think they've had a taste of it over the last couple of years, most notably two years ago when they really had that rough series against Toronto where they – pretty much had that series won. That was actually the same year the Mets made it to the World Series. They pretty much had that series won, and then Toronto had that crazy comeback. Um, It's going to be really interesting to see if Houston can get over that hump, because when you get to October, sometimes it doesn't come as easy as it does during the regular season. Washington, of course, no stranger to October failures, uh, too. So I think you've got two teams that are just running away at their divisions and are obviously going to be in the playoffs. But we'll see what happens when things tighten up in October. The weather gets a little colder. So it'll be very interesting uh, to see which one of those teams, if either of them, can get over the hump. Those two divisions seem to be the ones that are going to be clinched first. They seem to be the most in hand at the moment. Two divisions that really have a lot of question marks and maybe some surprises are the NL West and the NL Central with the Rockies and the Brewers 
each leading those divisions, especially the Brewers leading over the defending world champion Cubs. Do either of those squads, Colorado or Milwaukee, do they have enough to sustain this and win a division title? I'm going to say no on the Brewers. I, I mean, the Cubs are a half game back. There's so much of the season left. We're not in that the All-Star break. And the Cubs remind me of the, you know, the Eastern Conference's version of the Cavaliers. Uh, you know, they, they, they don't need to, you know, put into, you know, sixth gear during the regular season. They know that, they, that they're going to be around, uh, you know, in, down the stretch. Milwaukee's not, definitely not running away with that division. St. Louis is having a big time down year. You know, Pittsburgh has their problems too. So I, I think Chicago will overtake Milwaukee down the stretch. That would be a surprise if the Cubs didn't win that division. After the West, I talk about the Wild West. I mean, it's incredible. You know, one of the teams we left out that's probably, you know, even almost a bigger surprise than the Rockies is the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, what they've been able to do with, with less talent has been incredible. I think Arizona will fade down the stretch. I, I think the Dodgers and the Rockies are the two teams in that division that, that, that will actually run away with it um, and eventually separate themselves from, from the rest of the division. But I think the Cubs in the Central, and I, I, I would say Dodgers right now in the West, because I just, it's such a wild card with what happens in Colorado once the web changes. Um, and you know, we've seen October baseball in Colorado in the past. We've seen World Series and Blizzards there. Um, so I, I just it's such a wild card with them and, 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 and their pitching staff and, and how those pitchers are going to respond, and obviously the opposing pitchers as well. I, I just don't know enough about Colorado right now to give them that edge over the Dodgers, who are obviously a playoff-like team they've been in the NLCS two out of the last three years. So I would say Dodgers and Cubs. I know it's boring because baseball fans want to see new teams in the playoffs, but I think the National League is just such a – those teams are just so so playoff-tested. I would be surprised if the Dodgers and Cubs weren't back playing in Oxford baseball. He's Jared Smith, New York City sports anchor. Before we get to what's going to happen tonight in Brooklyn with the NBA draft, uh, give us an idea. The Major League Baseball trade deadline is creeping up on us, and that seems to be when the sport takes national attention. Is there a storyline or a team that you see that fans really need to be watching out for, whether it be buyers or sellers? Yeah, I, I think the Nets are going to be the biggest buyers out there. I, I think they know that the window is closed, especially with Bryce Harper. Um, I, I, you know, he might not be on the team past, much past this year or maybe next year. I, I think the Nationals are the team that will probably be the most aggressive. Boston as well, I think they know that they probably need to bulk up their bullpen. I think if you have a bullpen arm and you're on a losing team this year, very similar to what the Yankees did last year with Andrew Miller and Errol Chapman, you're going to have an opportunity to really hit the ground running in mid to late July. Um, I think, like last year, this is going to be a fascinating baseball trade deadline because you have such separation between the haves and the has-nots in, in, in this league, Washington, Houston, uh, even the Cubs, I could see making a move, uh, you know, for maybe not an arm, but maybe someone to bulk off the bottom of the lineup. You know, they've had some issues with the catcher position a little bit this year. Maybe, maybe they go out and, and, and you know, get, get someone to bulk that up. But you've got two or three teams, especially the Nationals. I would, I would say they are the one team that needs the most help with their bullpen. They have probably the worst bullpen in baseball. And for a team that's 15 games over 500 and is a shoe to win their division, it's surprising that they have such a glaring weakness on their team and if it's not addressed, I don't think they'll be in the playoffs long. Uh, I would say Washington. And, and another dark horse team that isn't out of the race yet that probably needs to make a move because their window is closing as well are the Toronto Blue Jays. We've seen them in the playoffs for a couple of years in a row now. 
and it, it, it's tough based on what happened in, in obviously they beat Baltimore in the ALC and the American League wildcard last year, and then they had a rough go from there. But Toronto, another team to look out for once the trade deadline comes. Should be a lot of fun in Major League Baseball. I want to touch on tonight down in Brooklyn. The NBA draft is getting underway. And one of the teams I think everybody's talking about now after the trade with the Celtics and the Sixers is the New York Knicks. And uh, Phil Jackson made some comments earlier this week or a rumor came out that he'd be willing to trade Kristaps Porzingis if he was able to sign Laurie Markkinen, the freshman out of Arizona. What in the world? And I'm sure Knicks fans have been wondering this, but what is Phil Jackson doing, not only to the Knicks, but to his legacy? Phil Jackson is an enigma wrapped in a riddle. I don't even know why you would even put that out there that you want to trade your best player unless, and this is, I take this approach with the NFL draft, especially in the days leading up to the NFL draft. Don't believe anything you see let out to the media. I think Phil Jackson is a lot smarter than we give him credit for at this stage of his career. Everyone is very down on him right now, obviously, and everyone is thinking that he's just kind of this old kook that doesn't really care about, you know, the, the future of the Knicks. I, I do think he has a plan. I don't necessarily know what that plan is. I would be shocked if they traded Chris Stapp's Porzingis. I think that this is a smokescreen. I think this is a way to distract people away from what the Knicks are really trying to do. I think they are trying to acquire more draft picks, which is the smart thing to do. I would be shocked if they traded Porzingis. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to get the Arizona kid. I, I think he'll go in the top seven. I think Josh Jackson will go in the top seven as well. Those are the two guys that the Knicks want. Maybe they get lucky and a team decides to make him. I think if they're going to trade anyone in the draft, it's going to be Melo before they trade Porzingis. I, I just think Melo is a much less tradable asset because of his age and his contract. Uh, it, it's going to be tough for them to trade out of that eighth spot. I think that's where they're going to pick. And hopefully they get someone like Porzingis who, who, you know, calls or who, you know, maybe wasn't as highly touted in that spot. And then eventually they can make a move. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do on draft night. I think everybody, including the experts, are baffled at this, this, you know, news with Porzingis on the trade block. Let's talk about the team whose building will be hosting the NBA draft, the Brooklyn Nets, who a couple of years ago, and they're still paying for it, getting fleeced by the Boston Celtics in that trade. Uh, and they just made another one the other day, D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov coming to Brooklyn, while Brooke Lopez and a draft pick go to the Los Angeles Lakers. Is there anything they can do to get their fan base excited again? Well, I think they made a great move. I mean, I, I do think that's a good move for them. I think D'Angelo Russell is an exciting player. He had no fit really with the Lakers. I think the Lakers really kind of reached for him at three. I believe that's where he was drafted a couple years ago. That was the same draft uh, with Porzingis. Um, and it, it's, it's a good move for him to get out of L.A. because he was kind of in Kobe's shadow from the start. Now, obviously, with Kobe gone, he's kind of in Magic Johnson's shadow um, with, with Magic running the show there now. Um, it, it, it'll be very interesting to see what they do uh, over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, their, their, their draft picks are gone this year. Uh, Boston still owns that number one pick, and I'll be curious to see. Well, they just traded it, but I'll be curious to see what Boston does with now their third pick. Uh, I would imagine that, that Philly's going to take Fultz number one. The rest is probably a crapshoot. Um, it, it, it will be interesting. Though. I, I'll tell you, the, the NBA draft has now become, over the last couple of years, just this app, like one through five, it seems as though sometimes I feel in certain years 
the, the number five pick has gotten better run than, than, than the top pick. And, you know, you've seen Philly draft so many guys won over the last couple of years, and, and they've either gotten hurt or they haven't been able to play. You know, now they're going to get a guy in Fultz probably who, who's going to play at least, who hasn't had those injury issues in the past. But Brooklyn having the having the draft in their building and, and not having their number one pick, it's obviously disappointing, but I think they made a good move last night. Jared, enjoy tonight. I appreciate the time and enjoy what I know for you is going to be a very fun baseball season back in the Bronx. Appreciate it, pal. Absolutely. Thanks, and I appreciate the time. Great stuff once again from Jared Smith, their New York City sports anchor. Uh, yeah, we, we touched on it earlier with Chris Williams. We touched on it then with Jared. It's going to be interesting tonight with the NBA draft. I think the biggest team to watch out for with what they do is the Knicks, just because as Phil Jackson does and as the teams in New York do, they make the most noise. But man, how much fun is this baseball season going to be when you've got such young talent like Aaron Judge, Cody Barringer with the Los Angeles Dodgers on an absolute tear, 23 home runs already here this season. He's looking like he could win Rookie of the Year in the National League. And then you've got some really competitive races like we touched on in the NL West with the Rockies and Dodgers and then in the Central there with the Cubs and the Brewers. But as I've always said, baseball's at its best when the Yankees and the Red Sox are right there at the top, and we're seeing that in the American League East. So it will be a lot of fun to watch there. Jam-packed show, as I mentioned. Want to get a chance to talk a little bit more about this past weekend in the U.S. Open with the... (sighs) Jam-packed show, as I mentioned. Want to touch on the U.S. Open, which happened this past weekend up at Aaron Hills. It was a interesting weekend in the fact that you had one of the top golfers in the world and Rory McIlroy missing the cut, Dustin Johnson missing the cut. And then after a pretty calm couple of days, the wind really kicked up on Sunday and Brooks Kepka coming away with the victory, his first major championship win. A guy who had a chance to look at it a little bit more is our own Cody Ortner, golf insider at Bruce Sports Network, as well as play-by-play man up in Wisconsin. And he joins us on the phone right now. Cody, thanks a lot. Well, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Well, Cody's first things first, a lot of storylines out of this weekend. But give us a quick little recap of the tournament in general. Well, it was a good weekend overall. I think a lot of the golfers came away very impressed by the course uh, at Aaron Hills and just kind of how it plays now. It was kind of interesting to see just all the different uh, top golfers that were not able to make the weekend and some people are kind of thinking, okay, what is this course really like? And I think a lot of people by the weekend end, uh, I think they came away very impressed to see a lot of different players just kind of come up, and it was very interesting. I thought it was a great showing for the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills, and uh, I think overall impressed by a lot of golfers. One of the stories off the course is the fact that this was the first uh, go-round for Fox Sports covering a major golf tournament. Did you get a chance to watch any of the coverage? What did you think? I was able to watch a lot of coverage um, on Sunday as well as Saturday, and a little bit as well on Thursday and Friday, just kind of here and there uh, between work and whatnot. I thought the coverage for Fox uh, was was pretty good. Uh, they, I thought they brought a lot of different angles in what they do, say, at NBC or CBS. It was kind of different to see Joe Buck uh, behind the mic uh, for a lot of the broadcasts as well, too. So I think overall for Fox, uh, this is new for them, and this is something that they're trying to get into a little bit more. And I think the U.S. Open is a good start for them because they can really get their feet wet in a big event like this. And uh, I look for them to improve in the future once they get more events. But uh, overall, I thought the coverage was pretty good. Uh, I don't think it was up to the standards of what we've seen at CBS and NBC, but nonetheless, I do give them credit for, for doing a good job. 
What was the bigger surprise for you? You mentioned some of the bigger names missing the cut, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, or was it the fact that this relatively unknown tour pro who's been around for a while and Brooks Kepka is able to come away with his first major championship? Yeah, it was it was really interesting to see a lot of these guys, like I alluded to earlier, you know, guys like Rory McIlroy struggling, especially after what he kind of said earlier in the week during the practice rounds where a lot of these guys were kind of complaining a little bit and he kind of said some stuff, but for him to kind of come out and struggle the way he did, I think a lot of people are going to come away and say that the storyline was about, you know, those guys not making the cut, but I, I think overall it was just a lot of different guys and we'll, we'll kind of allude to in a little bit where there is no face of golf and I think just a lot of the different newer faces that nobody really knows that kind of came up and sprung. I think that storyline kind of overtook of what we saw earlier on uh, in the earlier rounds where these top guys just couldn't make it. Speaking with Cody Ortner, our golf insider on Brew Sports Network, and uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times, Cody, whether it was Rory McIlroy in 2011 at Congressional, Jordan Spieth and the way that he burst onto the scene, guys like Dustin Johnson, Bubba Watson, um, Jason Day, whoever it may be, it feels as though golf doesn't have a true face of the sport, but it also somehow feels as though golf has never been better. I would definitely agree with that. And, you know, there's still a huge part of me, you know, is growing up as a kid, uh, watching golf, you know, turning on your TV on a Sunday afternoon and seeing Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson kind of being those front guys all the time where they're just dominating. And I think in the long run, this is great for golf because, it lets people form an opinion on who they want as their favorite golfer. I see a lot of people that have gotten attached to guys like Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, Ricky Fowler as well. And some of these guys like Brooks Kepka, who kind of came up out of nowhere in this tournament and won the whole thing, you know, I think it'll allow people to form their own opinion and just really kind of rally around these underdog guys a lot more. I think that you're going to see it kind of take more of like a, a college sports format in a bit where everybody's going to have their favorite golfers, but once it gets to the point where like the NCAA tournament where, you know, if their team's not in it anymore or they just didn't make it, some people will kind of wrap around different teams. You're like, hey, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them win. And I think that's going to kind of have the same thing with golf where a lot of different people are going to be like, okay, Charlie Hoffman, he seems like a good guy. You know, I, you know, he didn't at the U.S. Open and if he's competing in a major, whether, whether it be the, you know, the British Open or anything like that. I think a lot of people could attach on to something like that where, you know, I say, hey, I think it's good for the game of golf where a lot of different characters can come out and, and show who they are and what they can do on the course on and off the course as well. Let's talk about two of the more popular names in Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson. Where do you see the rest of the year going for these guys? Dustin getting injured and missing the Masters, then missing the cut here. Rory missing the cut at the U.S. Open and comments coming out that he's bored with golf. What does the rest of this 2017 season have in store for those two? Well, I think for Dustin Johnson, for him, it's going to try and go out there and prove that the last year wasn't a fluke. You know, obviously missing the Masters you know, due to some fluke injury is kind of tough to overcome a little bit at first. But, you know, not making the cut at the U.S. Open, that is tough, especially on the mental side. And I think for Dustin, he's just kind of got to take a step back and really – uh, bring out that success that he found last year and just kind of get back to the basics a little bit more and just, you know, maybe not think as much, but kind of just more feel like he did last year where you saw him having such great scores and competing at all the time. And even just over the last few years, even if he wasn't winning majors, he was doing, he was playing very good balls. And I think moving forward for him, it's just getting out there, doing what he does best and just kind of shaking off what a little bit of a rough start he's had so far this year. 
Rory McIlroy, it's kind of a mystery, but I think Rory has the talent to win just about any golf tournament he gets into. Obviously, just off the bat, for him, it's just getting that confidence where he knows that he can do it, but it's getting out on the the course and and performing like he can do that. And I think he's lost that a little bit where you, you saw him in his early years, especially back in like 2011, 2012, or he was going out there and just playing phenomenal golf. But lately, you've just kind of seen him I don't know, and like we like you said a little bit, you know, some people are saying he's bored, he's got all this money and whatnot. I think for him, it's trying to prove that hey, you know, I want to go on and win major tournaments. I, I am serious about my game, and I think some people have kind of said the same thing about Ricky Fowler, even though he hasn't won a major yet. You know, where's the immaturity, maturity factor coming in to his play in golf on and off the course? Speaking with Cody Ortner, our golf insider here on Press Row. What are some of the biggest storylines that fans should really be looking out for as we head towards the Open Championship coming up, one of the more storied tournaments in golf? Well, I think if you're a casual golf fan, you're just trying to see, well, maybe which uh, which new face is going away with another major and, or, or that or what uh, guy's going to come away with a second major, maybe either be of the year or a second one of his career. And I think that's the big storylines coming in, especially to – uh, the Open, and then moving on later on into the season as well for the last major. I think it's just, you know, we've had so much, was it seven straight times where uh, a new player has won a, a major for the first time ever, and I think a lot of people are just kind of expecting that now. And I think heading into the Open, I think we're going to see a lot of different things where maybe a guy's going to win his second one, you know, a guy like Brooks Kepka where he could come up and, and win a second straight major just like that, or you know, just really what guys are going to push the things. And for me, I think the big the big story I'm heading into the Open is, is Ricky Fowler and seeing how he can finally get over that hump. And I think a lot of people are going to be following that storyline as well. Is there a reason why in individual sports like golf and tennis we crave one person to be dominant, yet in team sports we crave parity and how it's not fun if one team keeps winning? Is that an actual thing or is that just a figment of my imagination? I, I think it's kind of a little bit of a both. You know, a lot of people, you know, the recent thing, you know, with the NBA, people are, you know, either you hate the Warriors or you love the Warriors just because they dominated so much. It kind of goes the same thing with the Cavaliers in the same sport. I think for golf, you know, I, I think being that it's an individual thing, I think people will kind of attach more to a player who dominates like that. You know, just for me growing up watching Tiger Woods, you know, just being how good he is, I think people appreciate greatness more at an individual level than what they do maybe as a team level, like kind of what we see in the NBA right now. You brought him up a couple times. Uh, it seems as though even when he's not playing, Tiger Woods makes the biggest headlines in the world of golf. Unfortunately, the last couple of headlines haven't been the best for him. It's great to see him getting the help that he needs and to say that he's going to get the help that he needs, but what have the last couple months been to Tiger, and what do they mean to his legacy when we look back and tell our kids that at one point this guy wasn't just the greatest golfer in the world, he was the greatest athlete in the world? Well, I think, you know, things that we've seen in the last month, in the last few months, in the last few years as well, you know, things just haven't gone Tiger's way, whether it be, you know, having the kind of scandal that he's had, you know, his, his performance out on the course as well. You know, you just don't see that dominating stuff that he used to have. And I'm not sure that it, it really tarnishes his legacy as much as a lot of people think uh, because, I mean, he's, he's accomplished so much when he was at such a young age and throughout the course of his career up until about 2008. I, to me, I still feel him as the best golfer in the world or even as one of the best all time. 
Um, I just think a lot of it for Tiger is he, he's having a hard time letting go a lot of different things, whether it be from what happened uh, back then in 2008 uh, with that scandal there and a bunch of different other things. I just feel like he's he's bottling up a lot of different things and you just can't seem to move on. And it's reflecting on his personal life. It's reflecting on you know his golf game as well. And I just think his focus isn't fully into 100% golf. And I think he's just having a hard time you know, admitting something like that, you're just kind of moving past that. But as far as his legacy, you know, I think people can tell their kids, grandkids about how great Tiger Woods was because he was that good. You know, he was a very good golfer. and He was the world number one for, for how long? I mean, he was a great role model on the course and even off the course as well before all the scandal stuff and a lot of things that we found out. I just think a lot of people, it's tarnished his reputation because, you know, he hasn't done anything you know, especially on the golf course in such a long time. Whether it be the off-the-course issues or his multiple back surgeries, his knee replacement after the U.S. Open in 2008, is there a scenario you envision where we see a competitive Tiger Woods again, or are we closing in on a decade without one of the greatest golfers of all time? I think uh, I, I think we've I think we've gone past the part where we're going to see a competitive Tiger Woods. You know, it's just he's tried so many times to come back. Um, whether it be just taking a hiatus for a little while just so he can focus on the game and focus on his health and focus on his body. And I'm not I'm not completely ruling out anything where he could play some competitive golf. I just don't think we're ever going to see that dominating stuff that he did bring you know, years ago. For Tiger, it's, there's a lot of different scenarios that could happen, but I think it just ultimately we, I think we've gone past that point in his career. Cody Ortner, our Golf Insider. Cody, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much for the insight as well, and enjoy the rest of the golf season, my man. Thank you. You too. Uh, Thanks for having me on. That's Cody Ortner, our Golf Insider here at Bruce Sports Network. Good stuff there. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. We talk about Tiger Woods, and it's it's strange to think that we're closing in 10 years since we last saw a competitive Tiger, who at one point was, not as I mentioned, not just the greatest golfer in the world but the greatest athlete in the world this is a guy who a lot of people looked up to a lot of people admired in terms of how he was able to compose himself on the course how he seemed to be able to handle everything off the course and I I don't think I I agree with Cody I don't think this is going to hurt his legacy at all as a golfer it's just going to be one of those cautionary tales about how quickly things can go wrong and how spectacularly things can go wrong but you just hope and pray that he gets the help that he deserves, he gets the help that he needs, and we can see potentially a competitive Tiger Woods at least once more in our lifetime. But any thought of him catching Jack is far out the window now at this point. PGA Tour resumes this weekend. They are up at the Travelers uh, Championship where, again, I mean, I think the biggest thing you're going to have to watch out for the rest of the year is can these big names, Rory McIlroy, Ricky Fowler, uh, Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson... Even Jason Day and Bubba Watson, those guys who have been the top of the list over the last couple of years, if they can get back to that championship form, it'll be interesting to see just exactly how well they can all do that uh, coming up later this year. Switching gears here, talk a little bit of some of the bigger headlines that have made news over the last couple of days, most notably in the NFL. Derek Carr and the Oakland Raiders agreeing a five-year, $125 million deal for the Raiders quarterback, who really, I mean, this makes him one of the highest players, paid players in the NFL. He's now under contract through 2022. 
roughly $25 million a year he's going to be getting paid, and that is uh, just about the most. Uh, Andrew Luck at $24.6 million, somewhere around there. Uh, so Derek Carr, he absolutely deserved it. I mean, listen, the Raiders have been were the surprise last year. They were the darling, and I think if not for his injury at the end of the year, I think the Raiders are a team that maybe surprises people. Maybe they go on and to the AFC Championship game. I don't know if they beat the Patriots or anything like that, but uh, they are a team that has a lot of potential, a lot of weaponry now, and they have finally started to become that very talented team that uh, the late Al Davis always hoped to see before he passed. But a very solid deal for Derek, a well-deserved deal, I think, and a good move by the Raiders. Another signing that came out earlier uh, this week the New England Patriots just continue to troll the New York Jets. And, and it's almost funny now at this point, that rivalry between the two is David Harris signing a two-year, $6.75 million deal with the Patriots. Uh, the linebacker had really kind of struggled, I guess, the last couple of years with the Jets. Played 10 years for them. He was on that higher end, but... Uh, he wanted to stay in New York. They couldn't figure out a, a contract for him, so he leaves and goes to the defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, I, I think this is a great deal for the Patriots. Uh, it's tremendous uh, for them to add that to the linebacking core. Uh, 33 years of age, a little bit older, but you know what? He's second all-time in Jets history with tackles, and he plays a lot of games. Um, he's missed just one game last year. Uh, missed, I think, just one game his tenure or something like that. Uh, 121 straight starts at one point. He had that streak. Plays a lot of snaps. Last year played 87% of the Jets' defensive snaps. So he's going to be a great uh, addition alongside Dante Hightower for the defending champs who just bolster their incredible roster and another fun toy for Bill Belichick and his defensive staff there in New England. Uh, we're sure we're going to get a lot more of these as we get a little bit closer to training camp starting, and uh, we'll see exactly just how big some of the changes are made to the rest of the NFL landscape. You've already seen some signings with Macklin um, moving on to the Ravens, Eric Decker going to the Tennessee Titans, which makes them Really interesting and exciting. Uh, you know, now that Mariota has a couple of extra weapons, who knows what the Titans are able to do? I like that Eric Decker signing. Jeremy Macklin, I thought, was a tremendous deal for the Ravens and a great pickup there. Didn't really like the way you've seen some reports come out of how he was cut. Uh, his general manager leaving a voicemail um, in Kansas City, but I think that's a good move for Baltimore. A lot of good signings. It's it's the off season in the NFL, and sometimes these games and these uh. These teams can make more headlines in the offseason than they do actually during the course of a 16-game season. So we'll keep an eye on that as well as the rest of the news and notes from throughout the league and throughout the world of sports. You saw the NHL expansion draft yesterday with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Biggest name, I think, there is Marc-Andre Fleury from the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was their backup, but he really was huge for them in the playoffs with the injury to Matt Murray. So he is now there uh, with Vegas. Not a bad pickup for them. Um, it's going to take a couple of years for the Golden Knights to really become anything, as do all expansion teams. It's at least three years for them to make that work. But uh, exciting thing to watch last night. If you had never seen an expansion draft, uh, as we talked with Justin Bradford 
from 102.5 The Game in Nashville last week, the first of the social media age. It was kind of interesting to watch. You saw some of the awards given out last night as well as Connor McDavid wins the MVP for the NHL, the youngest since Sidney Crosby did it in 2007. I want to thank all my guests for coming on this week. Cody Ortner, of course, our Brew Sports Golf Insider, Jared Smith, New York City Sports Anchor, and, of course, my man Chris Smooth-Williams, here at ChrisSpeak.com. Until next week, everybody, you can check in with me on Twitter, at Chris Heimel. You can check in with the show, at Bruce Sportsnet on Twitter. And we will see you on Press Row.